This is Circulating Ideas. I'm Steve Thomas. My guest today is Anne Eubank. She's an associate professor at Montana State University, Bozeman, and is the author of Political Advocacy for School Librarians. Circulating Ideas is brought to you with support from Mometrics and from listeners just like you. Find out how you can help support the show by going to circulatingideas.com slash support or patreon.com slash circideas. With library budgets constantly shrinking, it's getting harder and harder to provide the resources your library patrons want and need. That's why the folks at Mometrics Test Preparation created the Mometrics eLibrary. Through their eLibrary portal, Mometrics offers study guides and practice questions for over 1,800 different exams covering college entrance, graduate school, nursing, medical, teacher certification, civil service, I'm counting this on my fingers, I'm running out of fingers, and many other careers and fields of study. All fully customizable and at a fraction of the cost of printed books. It's like having an entire library of test prep materials all at your fingertips. So, save space, save paper, and save money with Mometrics eLibrary. To get a free demo and 10% off your first purchase, visit goelibrary.com and let them know you came from Circulating Ideas by using the promo code PODCAST. That's goelibrary.com, promo code PODCAST. And welcome to Circulating Ideas. Thank you for having me. Um, so you have a new book out called Political Advocacy for School Librarians, and we're going to talk mostly about that. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask a little bit about how you got into librarianship in the first place. What's your kind of path to working oh. with and in libraries? Sure, sure. Um, so I uh, started my career as a high school social studies teacher, and I moved um, it, between my uh, third and fourth year of teaching, I moved um, cities and I was a broke teacher. And so I got a job at the public library, um, that summer, uh, as a shelver. And, um, eventually I worked part time while I was still teaching and had a wonderful time at the Phoenix public, uh, library, the central, um, library there. And, uh, I was able to, uh, work the reference desk and teach computer skills to adults. And I just really fell in love with the, um, the library environment. But at the same time, I was um, still really dedicated to K-12 teaching. And so I thought, hey, I could be a librarian and a teacher at the same time. And uh, so uh, I, uh, yeah, exactly. I researched um, some positions and I was able to um, secure a position at a local uh, middle school and I became a school librarian and uh, I did that for five years. And then um, after I finished my doctorate, I was uh, an academic librarian supporting a college of education and uh, now I am a professor of school library media at Montana State University. So I'm, I'm teaching the next generation of school librarians now. And you talk about this a little bit in the beginning and then at the end of the book, but um, how did you come to focus on political advocacy for school librarians as kind of a research topic and a, maybe a passion <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I've always been um, very interested in um, in politics and governance here in our country. I remember um, 
that uh, when I was in fifth grade, I was just enraptured by the uh, Reagan Mondale election, which it kind of tells you my age, but <laughs> you know that that was kind of my political awakening, believe it or not, when I was ten years old, and I've I've always had a a very um, a big interest in in politics and government and how those. How, how those things work. And so um, when I was uh, training to be a, a high school social studies teacher in my undergraduate degree, uh, I had the opportunity to be an intern in the Arizona State Legislature on the House of Representatives side. Um, and I did that uh, internship for one semester. And it really gave me an idea of how things happen in state government and how complex it is. And uh, it just really, it gave me a leg up when I taught those uh, high school seniors, um, uh, U.S. government. Um, and so it's been, a, it's been a lifelong interest of mine to uh, make sure that I'm engaging in the process of, um, of, of the governing of our, our state and country. Um, I have never missed an election. Uh, I've voted in every single election um, since I turned 18, local, state, and federal, and I'm very proud of that. That's fantastic. I, w I wish more people would be like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And if it makes you feel better, the first school project I remember working on was um, covering the An John Anderson campaign in 1980. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, I didn't get assigned Reagan or Carter. I got John Anderson. <laughs> John Anderson. There you go. <laughs> Um, so then you um, decided to write the book. What led you to wanting to put all this into this book aimed at school librarians? Sure. I, um, I have been doing political advocacy work uh, for school libraries and actually libraries of all types um, for nearly two decades. Um, I began uh, working um, on political topics uh, when I was in my uh, MLS program. And I had, I had an instructor, and her name is uh, Judy Morellian, and she was uh, an instructor at the University of Arizona where I was um, pursuing my MLS. And she, had, uh, she was working at that time that summer with um, a member of the Arizona legislature and uh, – trying to get a bill drafted uh, that would require uh, restoring a school library um, consultant position to the Arizona Department of Education. And I was just immediately enraptured uh, by that. And she, she shared all of kind of her process of working with the, the representative and how they negotiated what this bill would look like. And, uh, what struck me was that um, Judy is uh, an unabashed Democrat, and she partnered with a Republican named Marion McClure, who was her representative at the time. And that, um, you know, for all this divisive politics stuff and Republicans and Democrats and liberals and conservatives, I just I found it really gratifying and um, it made me optimistic that uh, that. You know, you can work with anybody um, if if you have an issue in common. And so that was really, really um, kind of the watershed moment for me in uh, becoming a political advocate for libraries of all types. An, an issue that comes up a lot, especially at, at ALA conferences, there are people who 
like and don't like that ALA takes official position on things. Yeah. Um, what's, what's your position kind of on that of should ALA take positions on things that aren't even directly related to library? Yeah. Yeah, that Steve, that's such a good question. So, um, one of the things that I've done, um, in ALA, uh, serving as a member leader, I was the chair of the ALA committee on legislation, um, for, uh, two years, 2015 to 2017. And ALA, um, you know, there's, there's 58,000 members, and ALA is really a big tent, if um, if that makes sense. Uh, there are there are uh, members of this organization that have a range of diverse viewpoints, and um, historically, ALA you can really see kind of some push pull in terms of um, what members believe ALA should be doing in terms of advocacy at the federal level. Um, so it's super complex, and there are some folks in the organization that um, see uh, some of the most pressing social issues of our time as very germane to to libraries. So an example would be gun violence. Um, and unfortunately, we have had some instances of gun violence um, that have occurred in libraries uh, very recently, and it is, it's very tragic, and I don't think that anybody in ALA, any member, is opposed to eliminating gun violence in libraries. Um, however, when, uh, when, when ALA at the federal level uh, advocates for, um, for some of these hot, or it has the potential to advocate for some of these, um, these pressing social issues, um, it, it can complicate things a little bit because uh, we have a brand in Washington. ALA has a brand, right. and um, and ALA is able to join in coalition with um, with other organizations um, that uh, have issues in common with uh, library and information policy issues. So an example would be the Electronic Frontier Foundation, looking at uh, freedom of information or privacy. Um, so ALA uh, joins in coalition very often with um, with these uh, these these like-minded organizations around specific issues. Um, my personal opinion is that uh, that everything is really complex, and we have to look at every issue from all sorts of angles to determine what the best path forward is. If members are passionate about um, about uh, ALA addressing a particular um, uh, social issue in Washington. So I, I prefer to kind of look at it um, issue by issue rather than say um, ALA should only advocate for libraries because what does that really mean? You know, yeah. it could mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. So I enjoy watching the process play out um, within ALA government governance that, that, really just uh, it, it indicates how ALA should move forward. It's a member organization. So, so those, those um, priorities come from the members. Yeah, I remember that coming up. Uh, one of the early ones I remember thinking about was the Edward Snowden stuff. And I, I remember thinking mm-hmm. there, are, you know, there, there, there are ways to approach that issue where it obviously does touch on library-related issues where you don't necessarily have to just pass a resolution saying Ed Snowden was right, mm-hmm. thumbs up. But we can yeah. say something about it that's positive and not alienate other people on other sides who just hear his name and go crazy and don't want to support anything to do with it. But transparency and yeah. things like that are things that are library values. So. 
yeah, for sure. Um, uh, transparency and privacy are certainly um, library values, and we have uh, um, we have advocated in coalition um, for. Uh, things like uh, private, uh, 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 bolstering privacy and um, limiting government surveillance and also um, joining in coalition to help our lawmakers in Washington understand uh, that uh, that privacy is, is a fundamental um, right under the First Amendment of the Constitution. Um, one of the things that, that ALA does in Washington is um, like I said, joins in coalition, but um, ALA is not always the leader on all of these issues. So, so these organizations take turns being um, being kind of the front leader, and then ALA might sign on to um, to a, a campaign on privacy, where the Electronic Frontier Foundation is the is the primary leader. So, um, it it does get a little bit complicated, but. Um, but uh, these issues are certainly germane to libraries, um, and at the same time, we need to be very um, deliberate and intentional in how how we approach them uh, in Washington, so as to not dilute our brand. And then um, the subject of your book, however, I don't think anybody would argue is in the realm of <laughs> libraries advocating for free libraries. So that's that's pretty yeah, clearly yeah. in our wheelhouse. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, before we get too much into the actual content of the book, I do like—I do want to ask about at the end of each chapter, you've got questions laid out. Um, mm-hmm. What made you want to go that way and kind of laying out the book of having those questions at the end of each chapter? Well, really, there's no black and white, and there's no exact blueprint in how to advocate. Um, these are uh, ambiguous situations with lots of contextual factors, um, and so. When writing this book, what I really wanted to do is um, create a resource for folks to be able to engage in really deep thinking around issues of importance for school libraries. And I I felt like the best way to do that was to provide um, some guiding questions so that uh, so that the those who read the book will kind of think about their own context and what. what tactics they should take to advocate using their contextual information. And then also um, I find case studies to, to be really, really beneficial in illustrating the complexity of political advocacy. So um, not only are there questions at each chapter, there are also case studies um, where uh, anyone who reads the book can work through those and, and think about um, how, how those those case studies could play out or what they would do if they were an actor within the case study. There's there's no black and white um, in political advocacy. One of the big things I, I think you approach first in the book and I think is really important is just the idea of is school librarianship itself political? Is this something that because a lot of people feel like, oh, you even mentioned that, that kind of once you get into your job, then you're just kind of doing the work and you're helping the kids and that's all that matters anymore. But there is a broader context to this and it is, well, I, I won't answer the question for you, but is school librarianship political and how 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 so? How is it political? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, it is my uh, fun. It's my belief that uh, school librarianship and, uh, frankly, any position in K-12 education is inherently political. And I think that we we really need to think about that word political because it's a it's a loaded term um, with all of kind of the 24 hour news cycle and the um, 
the you know strife and strain that we see on TV around um, things that happen in Washington and how it's a swamp and all this other stuff, um, the word political has really um, gotten a negative connotation, but it's really, it's a neutral term. Politics uh, just means that you work to um, have a solution through a democratic or some other political process. So um, it could, that coupled with the fact that most school librarians work in K-12 uh, public education. And so K-12 public education is uh, governed by uh, typically a, a local school district, and then there's also state and federal um, governance as well of K-12 education. And so when you have um, when you have uh, the state, local, or federal government um, uh, leading or uh, mandating what you should and shouldn't do with your job or within your job then yes, of course, your job is shaped by politics. Your job is shaped by policy. And um, you have, I firmly believe that you as a school librarian are, you're part of that governance because you have the knowledge and the information um, in your unique context. You live it day in and day out. And that knowledge and information can uh can be filtered up to those levels of local, state, and federal governance. Um, There's no reason that um, educators should not have uh, a say in the governance of their schools. And so, therefore, yes, I do believe school librarianship is political uh, for those reasons. So now that we've kind of established that it is political, um, can you talk a little bit about what political advocacy kind of means on a kind of more visceral basis? Like what what does it actually mean to do political advocacy in, in the United States? Obviously, we're all talking about the United States here. Other countries, yeah. you have your own different ways of doing things. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the fundamental um, principle of what it means to do political advocacy is to recognize that you as a, as a citizen or a resident of, of this country of the United States, um, you are a part of government. I mean, our government is by the people and for the people. So we have elected representatives that, um, that work for us uh, as citizens or residents of this country, either at the local state or federal level so one of the very easiest things that you can do is pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on um, in terms of uh, policy and governance, either at the local, state, or federal level that's, that's uh, germane to libraries. Um, so knowing, knowing what's going on, knowing what people are talking about at the state legislature, knowing uh, what is going on in Washington in terms of uh, the bills before um, the House or the Senate, knowing what's going on in your state legislature. That is, that's really uh, the first step to being a political advocate and, um, and just, just understanding and seeking out that information. And then thinking about ways that you can bring your experience to bear on helping these lawmakers or school trustees or whoever um, enact policies that support the mission of the school library. Uh, that, that is what it means to me to be a political advocate. Right. And then you also talk about um, 
kind of bu- building relationships with these people mm-hmm. and how to use that relationship then to persuade them to um, support yeah. their cause. And, but it's, but it's not, I mean, it's not just, it doesn't, it's not as bad as maybe that sounds of ha 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 yeah. using this relationship. I mean, it's, it's a back and forth. I mean, yeah. obviously what you're doing, mm-hmm. you're doing things for them as well. So um, can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> Yeah, sure. And I have a I have a really good example. I just got back from uh, Washington, D.C., where um, uh, the American Library Association flew in some advocates from key uh, states and key districts within the states um, whose uh, representatives or senators may have some substantial influence in the appropriations process. And uh, we were uh, uh, asked to uh, meet with our representatives or senators and or their staff to talk about um, uh, signing signing on to a letter that would go to the Appropriations Committee um, to uh, advocate for a very modest increase in uh, funding for the insti- uh, for the Library Services and Technology Act. So that was our that was our goal. So um, I had the opportunity to meet. Um, with my, uh, my, my representative from Montana, uh, Greg Gianforte, um, I uh, went to his office, said, hello, I'm here. I uh, then uh, was escorted into uh, another building where the representative uh, had stepped out of a committee hearing to meet with me very, very briefly, like two or three minutes. And so, um, so all of that context is to say that I'm, I'm working on developing a relationship with him um, that is mutually beneficial. So one of the things uh, that, that Representative Gianforte has done is he's, he has written a book on entrepreneurship. And um, I knew that because when I visited him in May, he mentioned it. So I asked the, uh, his staffer, um, hey, you know, would the representative be interested in getting his book into more Montana libraries? And uh, the staffer said, oh, he would love that. Um, I said, you know, I looked and we only have six copies in libraries in the whole state. So would he be interested in in libraries partnering with him to have his his book uh, more available and accessible? So that's an example of how I work to build relationships um, with lawmakers. That's, that, 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 that's great. And like, and like I said, that, that, that's the, that's that back and forth there. You're offering him something yeah. and he's offering you something and you're just, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a, it's mutual. It's for mutual benefit. Right. Um, exactly. and, and you know, these, these representatives, they, they get yelled at all day, every day. They're the subject of such vitriol. So quite frankly, if you are cordial and professional, when approaching um, your lawmaker or whoever you would like to um, uh, to influence, they will remember you. It's all about relationships. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so after th- those first three chapters of the book, you kind of were talking, you're kind of doing key concepts, kind of laying the groundwork for the rest of the book where you move into the more direct how to do this thing now. Um, one of the, I don't remember where it was in the book that I got this, but it reminded me when you were talking about um, the uh, the LSTA act, but mm-hmm. it, it's amazing that there's no, or I think you said since 81, there's been no direct federal funding for school libraries because that mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's kind of in there as just lumped in with everything else. Um, mm-hmm. So that's an interesting key there. And we, and we can talk about that a little bit more when we talk about federal advocacy, but mm-hmm. that's something that I don't think a lot of people know that it's, that it, it's, 
it can be funded federally, but it's not directly called out. In there. Right. Right. Um, so specifically education funding and education governing and legislation, what's something that people need to know about that to really get started and wanted to advocate for themselves? Sure. Well, I think that the most important uh, thing for political advocates um, to know um, about education governance is that it is a tangled web. So you really need to find out um, who you need to influence, who you need, the, the, the person or the agency that, that you need to target um, for your advocacy. Um, so you, you're, you have uh, funding for K-12 education that, that comes from local property taxes. You have funding that comes from uh, uh, local bond elections or overrides. Then you have, you have uh, funding for K-12 education that comes from the state. Sometimes it's a federal block grant that the feds have allocated to a state and then the state disperses it. The state agency disperses it. Um, and then, of course, there are, there are uh, federal regulations. So the most recent one is the Every Student Succeeds Act. So every, every uh, state in the union has to have uh, a state plan demonstrating how they will um, comply with the federal law. So uh, that's the number one thing is know who has the power to change the policy mm-hmm. um, or strengthen the policy or um, get rid of the policy if it's detrimental to school libraries. Right. And then you you kind of go through – you give each chapter to mm-hmm. those kind of levels. Um, can you talk about mm-hmm. the, the local level first? Because that's, that's usually where yeah. the vast majority of your funding is going to come from and then it's kind of yeah. – I, I see it like tangled web is good, and I think of like overlapping Venn diagrams and stuff of where yeah, things can, yeah. can come from. But yeah, can you talk a little bit about sure. lo- local advocacy and what kind of groups and stakeholders mm-hmm. you'll be interacting with in that at that place? Yeah, you bet. So, so in terms of uh, local political advocacy uh, for school libraries, um, you've got you've got a couple of um, either groups or individuals that um, have some significant influence over the policies. So uh, you have your school board or your board of trustees, which in most cases are elected officials. Um, They are volunteers. Um, They don't get paid. They spend 40 to 80 hours a month um, doing uh, school board uh, activities. And uh, they are typically, it's typically like um, maybe three to five members on, on a school board. And one thing to remember is that each board member only has one vote. So, um, so really uh, thinking about how you can influence the board as a whole um, is more powerful than, uh, than targeting um, a certain board member unless that board member has influence um, within the board. Uh, another thing to know is that most states have pretty ironclad open meeting laws. So, uh, for example, I have seen uh, school boards that are forbidden to talk to each other even when they're on uh, – school board members are for- forbidden to talk to each other even when they're on a break during the school board meeting because it may violate the open meeting law. So um, the other the other uh, primary actors in terms of um, – education policy at the at the local level are your your uh, district administrators so your superintendent your maybe your deputy superintendent for curriculum 
these people are not elected officials, but they have um, some considerable influence when when uh, shaping policy. And then finally, the building administrator, uh, your principal could be um, uh, an individual who uh, may be approached to shape policy. And this is uh, particularly important in uh, school districts that uh, use uh, site-based management, meaning um, the district um, pushes some, some or most of the decision-making in terms of the allocation of resources to those individual schools. And then you get a situation where each individual school could choose whether or not to have a school librarian. That's happening in uh, Clark County uh, right now in Nevada, which is uh, the Las Vegas area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, some yeah, some schools have librarians and some don't because the principals decide. Um, but this is also, I think, the local level is where those the, your grassroots efforts are going to have the most yeah. kind of direct mm-hmm. appeal. Because obviously, I mean, you can do grassroots things at the state and federal level, but this is where I mean, you're going to get yeah. you'll have the parents going to the school board meetings. You can have the parents doing this directly mm-hmm. more than. The state and federal, you're more doing yeah. it through representational stuff, but yeah. here you're actually dealing with the parents and the community themselves. Yeah, exactly. And the, you know the school board members. You may know them. You may go to church with them or run into them in the supermarket. They live and work in your community. So the opportunity for access uh, to these decision makers is far greater um, than that at the state or federal level. Um, and so, yeah, the grassroots mobilization is really, really important at the local level. Um, having worked in multiple school districts, I can attest to the fact that um, the the school board members uh, they do listen to their stakeholders, and they 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 really um, attempt to um, ensure that uh, schools are as strong as they can be in their communities. Um, and, then, and then at the state level, you're again, you're, you're kind of a level of abstraction away from from like yeah. the, the local people. But I mean, you're, you're working with the legislature, the executive branch. Um, do you have yeah. other tips and ideas about how to deal, how to work with that, that group? Yeah. Well, the the very first thing is to identify who um, who your representatives are in the state legislature, and so um, we tip. What I have observed is that folks typically know who their maybe their their federal their senator or representative at the federal level is, but um, at the state level, um, there's there's just not a lot of awareness that this person or these individuals, you know, represent you. So uh, that's the first thing: find out who they are um, and find out uh, where they work, what they do. Do your homework. Find the profile of these individuals and. Uh, just really pay attention to their voting records, pay attention to anything in the media that um, that they might say. One of the strategies that I use is I set up Google News Alerts. So um, I have Google News Alerts for keywords like school libraries, and then I also have Google News Alerts for the names of my representatives at the state level. So just like just that awareness and knowing of what's happening at the state capitol in that legislature um, is is uh, the most effective uh, first step. And then from there, you can determine uh, what uh, you need to advocate for um, for these particular individuals. Yeah, and I think that's important at the state and the federal level is identifying yeah. the correct person to go to. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, like, I, I, I live in Georgia. I could yell at Ted Cruz or Nancy Pelosi or whatever yeah. I want, but 
they don't really care. <laughs> no, I they think. don't. I mean, because they're they're worried about Texas and California. They don't want to know what right. I mean, they they care yeah. a bit, whatever. But I mean, you know, they want to hear from the people they're representing. Yeah, they really do. Um, so one of the things that I've noticed is that um, that when you use the web form on um, a federal legislator's website. They won't even let you submit it unless you have a zip code in their district or state. So they're really trying to limit the, um, you know, the out of state. They they work for the the people that are in their district or state, and that's who they care about. And I can see at a certain point, you know, sometimes you might want to talk to somebody on an education committee or on a certain committee, even if they're not represented mm-hmm. directly because they're working on an issue that you're working with. But in general, right. if you're going to Let's say not, not yell at, but if you want to converse with someone <laughs> yeah. in Congress, converse with the person who is representing you. because That's the best way you're going to get. Yeah. Access. Yeah. And then, yes, I agree. And then um, pay attention to where the issue is in the process, because um, let's say an issue is in um, in a committee that your representative or senator is not on, mm-hmm. um, you can let them know, like, heads up, this is coming. We'd love to, you know, when it gets to the the House or Senate floor, we would love to have you vote um, in favor or, or vote no on this. But really, um, you know, there's so many levels in the legislature. And of course, everybody's seen the schoolhouse rock. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, just think about like, you know, how this bill becomes a law and all of the all of the levels that it goes through. And so you really have to not only do you have to determine who the right person is to influence, you have to track where it is in the process to determine um, when is the right time to contact your legislature, because they're going to honestly, if it's in committee and it's not going to go to the floor for another six weeks they're they're not going to be able to track it. So timing is everything as well. Because there's, I mean, much as people say, oh, politicians don't do anything or whatever, there's lots of stuff going on. <laughs> and so they, can't, oh, they can't keep track of it all. There's all these bills going on. They, yeah. they don't know every single bill. It's going to, they, they, they should educate themselves on the ones that come to the floor. But until it comes to the floor, they can't read every single bill that's in every single committee. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're, they're just bombarded and overwhelmed. But, um, and that's why it's really important to uh, not only develop a positive relationship with the with the uh, decision maker, the policy maker, but also with their staff. And quite frankly, you know, when I do these Washington visits, I, I prefer to meet with the staff only. Right. You know, it's great to get a photo op with uh, with my representative, but I know that the person who has his ear is his staffer because she's the one that's saying, okay, well, we've had a huge volume of of calls about this issue and here's what Montanans are saying. And that's how he, he's going to lean on his staff member to help understand the pulse of his constituents. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, So a lot of these uh, things we've talked about uh, apply at the state and federal level. Is there anything else at the federal level that's unique that you wanted Mm -hmm. to talk about? Yeah, uh, the federal level, uh, I guess uh, one of the things that is is unique um, that should really be um, uh, paid attention to by advocates is not everything that your congressman or senator does happens in D.C. on the Hill. Mm-hmm. So um, there are uh, uh, legislative directors that are um, in district and in your local area. So, for example, my... Um, one of my senators, Senator John Tester, his uh, two staffers 
um, who have, are in the Bozeman office where I live, uh, they hold monthly open office hours at the, at the public library. So it, I always make, um, make an effort to go there. And I usually ask uh, the lobbyists at ALA, you know, if they want me to punch on anything. And also I ask the state librarian if they want, if she wants me to punch on anything. And then I also bring issues to bear. And it's wonderful because you know what, Jake and Jenna know exactly who I am now. Um, and because I go to every single one of their open office hours and, and now we have a relationship. And that means that uh, when I provide information or opinion on um, on how I would want the senator to approach an issue, I have their ear. And I'm more likely to get my issue bumped up to the senator. Yeah. And, then you, and you wrap up the book um, talking about the future, um, how to move into the mm-hmm. future. What, what challenges do you see that school librarians need to be prepared to tackle when they move into, they move into the future of political advocacy? Now that they've read your book up until this point and they know how mm-hmm. to do it, what do they need to be yeah. prepped for as they move forward? Yeah. Well, I think um, one of the most important things um, as uh, librarians are becoming political advocates or becoming more interested in in engaging in this work is that uh, just understanding that it's a long game. So as an example, um, the Every Student Succeeds Act was uh, passed on December 13th, 2015. Um, The ALA, Washington office lobbyists, as well as grassroots um, members and parents and everybody else, we worked for nearly 10 years to get that language uh, about school librarians into that act. Um, So it's a long game. So don't get discouraged if something fails um, because you can bring it back another time and another time and another time. Um, and that is very typical. Um, usually, uh, at the federal level, at least, uh, a bill has to be um, a bill is typically introduced five to seven times before it's enacted. So that's one thing to remember. Just um, the benefits will pay off. It's not going to necessarily be immediate victories. Um, and then the other thing to know is that, um, incremental victories are victories. So think about it as, I guess, a marathon and not a sprint. Um, and these, these little things that happen along the way that just make the policy, um, better and better and better. Um, those, those things accumulate to get the desired result eventually. So that's one thing that's definitely, um, something to know, just don't get discouraged. Um, keep at it, keep your eye on the prize, it is likely going to take um, longer than you think it will. Yeah, and that's, and that's one of the things that, like, like you mentioned with that act that was signed in 2015, yeah. you got that language in there. So it, it's kind of in there now. It does say, I think you said that it says yeah. schools may use this money to, but right. the word school library is in there. And so you, you get that foot <laughs> in the door and you can yeah. push yeah. it in there. So. And, and it, it's a big victory. Um, it's not perfect. It's not exactly what we wanted. Um, but it's it's a step in the right direction. So the next time this, this law is up for reauthorization, we'll do the same thing and we'll attempt to get the language even stronger. And since this is a library podcast for everybody, I did want to point out specifically that you mentioned that advocating for the entire library ecosystem is good. So advocating for funding for public libraries helps school libraries. Advocating for academic libraries helps public and academic. So it, it, libraries just in general getting more funding is good and helps us all the rising tide. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And um, Jim Reddick, who was the president of the American Library Association in 2007, he coined that term, uh, the library ecosystem. And it's something that um, I've really held dear. Um, and I've held dear because I've I've worked in public school and academic libraries. So I feel like I have kind of a, um, a, a good sense of how all of these types of libraries um, work together to create, um, to really create a whole. So if you, uh, or an, an entire, um, ecosystem. And so if you think about it as, you know, we all serve the same patrons just at different points in their lifetime. Um, that's the way that I like to approach it. And I will absolutely go to bat for, um, public and academic library issues. Um, any any chance I get, we're all in this together. Right, and, and, you, and you do focus obviously on school librarians in the book, but a lot of the your advice can be used by any type of, even outside of library. Just this is it's a it's a good primer of just how to do political advocacy in general with some specific examples for school librarians, but it's a good idea for any kind of subject you're looking at of how to interact. Like, I think the, the big key takeaway I think is that what you've talked about over and over th- throughout this interview is uh, the that building of relationships. That's really the key to getting what you want in, in politics. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, although this book is specific for specific for school librarians, um, that's, that's the context in which, um, I I've written the book. So, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Steve. Um, it's about relationships and, um, many of the principles, if not most of the principles in the book can be applied to any issue, any issue library or not. Yes, and there's obviously much more detail in the book, and so I don't want to say, oh, you've heard this, and you don't have to read yeah. the book. No, there's, there's still much more in the book that we skipped over that's that's really important to get into. Like, we didn't even talk about how professional organizations and associations mm-hmm. can help out with all that stuff. So mm-hmm. get the book and read all the rest of that. <laughs> um, the last thing I wanted to bring up was a, a little was related, but a little off. Um, you were you were in the inaugural uh, ALA Policy Corps. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and what you all did in that first year and what the kind of the mission going forward is? Sure, sure. Yeah, so the um, the ALA Policy Corps is uh, a new initiative um, of the American Library Association, and um, the the intention is to develop um, members of ALA who um, have a deep um, understanding of particular issues that are um, information policy or library policy related. So. Um, so it was a competitive process. Um, I believe uh, 60 or 70 um, members applied, and 12 of us were selected um, to serve as the inaugural class of um, the Policy Corps. Um, there are uh, three of us on the Corps that um, that have uh, experience and expertise in school libraries, and then we have we have a representative uh, or a core member who's uh, worked in tribal libraries, we've got public libraries, we have state association director. It's a really nice mix of the breadth of um, positions um, uh, in libraries or that support libraries. So um, we spent um, the first year getting um, trained and briefed. So we went to Washington a couple of times um, we heard from uh, our ALA uh, lobbyists in the Washington office. We uh, we also talked with uh, uh, some of the consultants that the Washington office contracts with. Um, we got media training, which I'll tell you, that was super enlightening. Um, 
to get uh, hardball questions thrown at you and to see how you react on camera. Yeah, pretty enlightening. So uh, that was uh, probably one of the most impactful things. It's like, okay, I nod too much when I'm talking, um, things like that. And uh, uh, we also did improv training, which uh, it seems kind of it seems a little weird. Like, why would why would you need improv training to um, to be a political advocate? But um, so we did these improv games and, and really the science and the, the, the art and science behind improv is that it's okay to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of game changing for me because, um, I, even though I've been doing this work for nearly two decades, I still get super nervous and I, I want to stay to stick to my talking points and make sure it goes perfectly. And that, that improv training allowed me to, um, really respond in the moment and to just, uh, let things kind of flow and developed and, and know that, you know, I can still have, have influence even if I don't get through all of my talking points. So, um, that was super helpful. So now we're in, uh, and then in addition to all of that kind of training on how to advocate, um, we received, uh, a lot of training on particular issues that the ALA Washington office is working on. And then we were asked to take a deep dive into one particular issue of our choosing. So I chose, um, uh, broadband and the federal E-rate program for, um, discounts in telecom and internet for schools and libraries. So I'm becoming an expert on E-rate and broadband, and it's just fascinating. Well, just fascinating. You know, that, that, that's a really important issue, especially yeah. pushing out into rural areas. I mean, that's a, that's a difficult yeah. thing to get. So. Yeah. And now with the transition now to 5G, is going to be even mm-hmm. different and all this stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'd like to add that, you know, 5G is on the table, but I live in a state that has no G. Right. So, um, you know, that's an issue, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I do worry the more I hear about 5G where they're like, you have to have a... A transponder every block. It's like, well, yeah. that sounds hard in rural areas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where try, you put these try things? doing that in the Sawtooth Mountains in Montana. You know, <laughs> right, right. That, that's easy in Manhattan, maybe where there is a <laughs> street light at every corner and everything. But yeah, exactly. All right. Well, and um, thank you so much for coming on the show today to talk about your book and other related topics. Um, if people wanted to follow up with you and find out more, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. Um, feel free to email me at ann, A-N-N, dot U-Bank, E-W-B-A-N-K, at Montana, dot E-D-U. Um, I'm also on um, Facebook, and I'm on Twitter, but I don't really use it that much. So um, I, I am more than happy to talk with anybody about political advocacy for libraries of um, any type, and um, I am very passionate on uh, about uh, developing the next generation of advocates. So, um, so if you are interested in political advocacy and want to get involved, um, feel free to reach out. All right. Well, thank you so much, Anne. Have a great day. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Circulating Ideas is produced by Steve Thomas in the suburbs of Atlanta. Views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of my place or work or the place of work of guests. For past interviews, visit circulatingideas.com and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice, and help others find the show by leaving a rating or a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at Circ Ideas or like the show's Facebook page. Music is by Pamela Klicka. Thanks for listening and keep circulating your ideas.
thanks again to Mometrics Test Preparation for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. To get 10% off your first purchase and a free demo, visit goelibrary.com and use that promo code podcast. That's goelibrary.com, promo code podcast.